And we really enjoy winning. We enjoy the process it takes to win. Practice at times can be a little bit more laid back. But yeah, game day, when you enter our dugout, the players should feel that they're there for business. That was UConn pitching coach and coordinator Josh McDonald. He'll be our next guest on the Base Path Podcast. Welcome to the Base Path Podcast brought to you by New England Baseball Journal. I'm Dan Guttenplan alongside Matt Feld in our Milton studio. Today we are joined by Zoom from U- with UConn pitching coach and coordinator Josh McDonald, who is widely recognized as one of the top assistants in all of college baseball. Last spring, Coach Mack earned D1Baseball.com Assistant Coach of the Year. Coach Mack, thanks so much for taking the time. No problem. Yeah, it must be a pretty crazy time of year for you. I know UConn over the last few years has picked up so much talent from NCAA transfers, and this is the time of year you just see it after the first semester where either guys maybe are looking for fresh starts other places or they don't like the role where they are, are kind of popping into that portal and looking for new opportunities. What What is the next couple of weeks going to look like for you? I think we always are assessing the potential players in the transfer portal. I don't know if there's kind of like a specific date or time where we want to get done by. Again, it's, it's super fluid for us. I, I try not to add just to add. I, I try to add when I feel like there's a player there that could really help us out and help us win and maybe fill a need that that we may not, we, we may feel that, the, that we don't have on the team the following year. Because I mean, that's really what you're doing, right? It, it's for the, it's for a future team. So, so it, it never really stops, but it's also not like, hey, we have to get player X, Y, and Z by, by this date. We just kind of constantly monitor, constantly try to find fits. And when we do, we try to move on them and, and we've been pretty lucky. Coach, how have you seen the landscape of baseball in the Northeast change in general in the last couple of years, whether it's you guys, the success that your programs had maybe allowed you guys to go more nationally or, or competing against other Northeast schools like Northeastern and Boston College. What's your overall take on the state of, of baseball up here in the Northeast? Well, I mean, I mean, I think there, there's there, there's always been probably really good programs around here. I think the thing that you've seen the, the most is that these coaches that have gotten it going have st- stuck it out. But I think that's a that's a really big thing for any program. You look at Northeastern's been been winning and, and doing doing really well, and Coach Glav is is the coach there and has been there for a while. You see a school like Stonybrook, Coach Sank has been there a while, so they're able to kind of kind of win pretty consistently. And you see, obviously, our staff has been together now twelve years. So I think, I think keeping a staff around really would to continue to build, right? You don't you don't have a guy leave, and all of a sudden there's a bunch of changes. So up up this way, there's been a couple of really good programs that have been able to kind of keep that consistency. How it's changed? I think the only the only thing that has changed since really I've been playing, I, mean, I played here, is that. I think people are starting to believe that you can compete at an actual level. Now, it did take some things. We have a brand new facility. We, we, have, we have a state-of-the-art kind of performance center and things like that. BC now has it as well. Bryant has done a really nice job over the past years upgrading their facilities. I think Fairfield's done some really nice things with their facilities. You see what's going on in Binghamton, even though that's not New England, but in New York. So you're starting to see Northern schools, I don't want to say prioritize, but certainly try to, to help out these programs instead of being more, or more regional-based, which is great. I wanted to go back to the transfer portal. I remember talking to Eric Stock last year 
And he was saying he put in right around when you guys were playing in the in a regional. I think you were you were Oklahoma playing, City, yeah, yeah. And he had put he'd gone in the portal, and you reached out to him because I think you had seen him somewhere. Maybe you had played a team some somewhere or another. You had seen him play and said, "Hey, this guy, this kid's a player." Never um, saw him. Oh, you never saw him. Okay, yeah. So that's no. that's actually my question is. Yeah. When you're recruiting these guys, are you looking at their numbers? Like, hey, they produced in this conference, so they can come here and produce right away? Or are you seeing them on video? Or what's the process? Like, what are you yeah. seeing that makes you think they can play there? So, like like with Eric, Eric's big thing was we we were in a rain delay in that regional. We were in a, in a pretty, pretty, it wasn't a tornado. But whatever was going on, and we were underneath in the clubhouse, but whatever was going on in Oklahoma City that day was pretty, was pretty, pretty gnarly. So we were in like a two and a half, three hour rain delay. And Eric sent an email to us about how he was watching us in whoever we were playing earlier in, in the tournament. And he liked kind of like the way we played. And he played at ODU. One of my good, good coaching friends is Mike Marin at ODU, Northeast guy. So I called up Mike and Mike's like, listen. I think he can. I think he can play. He may just need to change the scenery. He's a good kid, and really, the thing with Eric was that he was he was coming. He was kind of a. He hit well as a freshman at ODU, but he also had an arm that could touch ninety four, ninety five. So there was there was a lot of intrigue there about what he was going to be. I think, I think the original thought process to bring in Eric was that all right, we're going to bring him in the pitch. If he can help us a little bit with the bat, then that'll be really good. And ended up being the exact opposite. He came in, the arm was fine, but he could hit. He could hit. He was a lot more athletic than 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 we knew. And again, I mean, it was just it was really Coach Marin at ODU saying, "Hey, I think this kid can play." I don't have a a ton of friends in the coaching world in terms of where I would just take their take their recommendation without really having to go see them. But he's one of them. Again, that was kind of we, we kind of got lucky with that one. Coach, you talked about filling holes earlier with regards to the transfer portal. And, and Pat Gallagher, of course, is, is certainly leaving a hole at, at UConn. Had a tremendous year for you guys last year. One of maybe the best years ever in, in program history and, and how he's able to kind of lead your staff. Can you speak about filling that that hole and what you guys are going to have to do to kind of replace the impact and success that he had there? Yeah, I mean, every year, if you're good every year, you should be replacing really good players, right? So you just kind of get used to it. You don't really mourn about it. You get you get excited for them starting their next phase of their baseball, their baseball book, you know, their next chapter. For us, we we have to move on to ours. In terms of it, we're not just replacing Pat, we're replacing three all-conference starters in Austin Peterson, Pat Gallagher, and Enzo Stefano last year. So for us, the first ones that, that come to mind, Ian Cook was a guy last year who Pitched a little bit in the midweek. He actually pitched in our elimination game in College Park and Stanford. I thought College Park, he did very well. Stanford, he didn't feel right after the first inning. So we got him out of there, but he's got really good. He he has he has potential to, to kind of fit, fill right in there. And then the other guys from last year that were relievers that will start to press for some more playing time. Jack Sullivan was a freshman who was really good for us last year. Braden Quinn, Brady Aftum was going to have a chance. Again, at some point, we're going to have to decide which one of those guys are more suited to help us later on in the game. But because we have 
Devin Kirby, Justin Willis, and Garrett Cobb, three guys that kind of helped us finish games last year out of Penn, we have that sort of flexibility. And then we brought in a couple of guys, two that could jump out of us as a kid by the name of Andrew Sears from Rhode Island College, a left-handed pitcher who really has plus stuff. It should be, if things go, go the way, hopefully, we all hope they go. He may not be here after this year. He shouldn't be here after this year. And then the other one is Stephen Quigley, an All-American D3 pitcher out of Wheaton. For us. So those guys should all kind of, they're all going to be fighting for it. We have a couple four-game weekends earlier in the year, so that's a little unique. We, we, we typically have three-game weekends to start off, but for whatever reason, Ohio State's a four-game weekend, Hawaii's a four-game series, San Diego State's a four-game series. So we're going to be able to kind of test more than just three guys to start off to see which three stick when we get to conference play. One of the questions we always hear high school parents ask us what they, they're looking to have their son get recruited is whether that happens during the high school season or more likely during the travel ball season, during the summer. And I know it's impossible for you to get out and see people outside of probably your immediate area there near stores during the high school season because you have games and practices and you guys, that's in season for you. When does the recruiting happen? When, when does it take place for you? What's your philosophy on getting out and seeing guys? Same thing. It's it has to be a year round thing. So we're we're talking to high school guys right now. Even though we can't see them, we're we're at least continually to collect names, collect information, trying to find find whether or not they can come to our camp or not, things like that. But I would say, obviously, the summer is is a time where we can see most of them. But you know, there's always that's why it's really important to keep tabs on guys in your backyard. So. On those rare occasions in the spring, you can go and see them. You can go out and you can see some of the best players in Connecticut on your three or four days off or three or four days that really work in the spring for you to see them. Like you can go and and really start to knock things out. So again, it's it's again it's more of a fluid thing. But but yeah, I would say you see most of the kids outside the state once the summer happens. But you should be able to see a decent amount of in-state players during the spring season too, because those games are super important. And that's something that I think sometimes kind of gets, that message gets lost. Summer ball is what it is. It is summer ball. It's more showcasey at times. You see a lot of times in games where if you go to PBR future games, I don't think those kids really care whether or not they walk away with the trophy. They care if they go four for six and they're six at bats or run a six, six or hit 87, 88, again, and that's just the nature of it. I don't knock them for that. But I do think kids care if they win a state title. I do think kids care if they beat their rival. I do think kids care if they beat the private school up the road. I, I believe that. And you, all you have to do is go to a high school game and listen to the during a high school game compared to the dugout during an AAU game. They're just, it's two completely different animals. So if we want to see kids play in more pressured situation, well, you better hope that you can find them at one of their high school games because that's going to really show different environment. Coach, just following up on that point, we had uh, Joe Breen, who is a director of a GBG travel yeah. program up here. And Joe, Joe coached also at Mansfield High for a little bit, and I asked him about the difference between the two. And he talked about how you don't really realize the, the, how seriously the kids take the rivalries at the high school level. How hard is it, you, you kind of alluded to it, but how hard is it when you're recruiting over the summer to tell whether a kid has that passion, that drive, that you're looking for because in the respect and the aspect that they're probably more focused on personal individual goals for understandable reasons than they are maybe if on whether or not the team wins three to two that day. I mean, I think it's difficult. I mean, that, that's, that's probably the hardest thing to sort of 
evaluate and judge. And it is, it's got, it's, it's clearly the most difficult thing for us. I mean, the, the physical thing pops out at you. I mean, if you, if you can't see the physical part of it, what are you doing? Right. So, I mean, that's going to pop right out at you, but yeah, I mean, that's why <laughs> I don't know. I joke around. Like I love the kid at PBR that strikes out the side and gets excited for it. Like, yeah. All right. Well, he's in it. He's clearly, he's clearly treating this a little bit more different than just a, an exhibition. So, but you, again, you want to start to do your homework too. You go see a kid, the physical pops out at you. If you're not doing follow-up conversations with the people around them, high school coaches, travel coaches, things like that, but maybe other, other, other high schools have seen them, other, other people from the area that you trust, you're, you're hoping that you can do these things to check some of these boxes off. So at least you have an idea of the DNA of the, I will say the hardest part wasn't so much when you were seeing in the summer, the hardest part was during when you had to recruit kids via, via a live webcast. And when they weren't allowed to, I mean, that was like, that was tough. We, we hardly got like any pictures. So we were, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going to recruit a lot of scholarship pictures here. If I can't, if I can't go and watch them because there's, you think that you could see things on a camera, but you know, you could, you could deceive some things too, but you, you could really, there, there are some things that, that don't show up. So we kind of made it a more conscious effort that you could see at bats a little bit better than you could, could see what the pictures were doing. So we, we went, went a little bit more position player heavy during that. And then the second they opened up recruiting and we, we had like 10 pictures because we felt like that's what we, we had to do. Looking to keep up with all the latest news and information on New England baseball? New England Baseball Journal and BaseballJournal.com are the premier resources for information and inspiration on the New England baseball scene. Have every issue of New England Baseball Journal, the magazine, delivered to your home or office. And don't forget to stay in the game every day with a digital subscription to BaseballJournal.com to receive baseball coverage on clubs, college commits, prep and high school, Division One, Two, and Three colleges, showcases, rankings, and much more. Get in the game and behind the scenes now by going to BaseballJournal.com. Just click on the subscribe button and start the subscription that is right for you today. New England Baseball Journal is a Siemens Media publication. Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful. I was reading an article about you that said you're brutally honest and direct with players. Yeah. And I was wondering how that plays out. Is it like when you go out to the mound, you're like, hey, you can't throw strikes. You're out of here. Or is it when you're <laughs> when you're recruiting guys? Is it, hey, you can't play here? Or how do you have an example of how that brutal honesty plays out? I don't know if I have anything anecdotal. I don't know. When I hear something like I'm brutally honest and direct, and when I hear something along the lines that that's kind of an odd thing, or, or, or something outside the norm. I don't understand that all that much. You're coaching guys. So you should be, you should be honest with them all the time. And if you're being honest with them all the time, then yeah, yeah there's going to be times where they're not very good. Honestly, direct when they're really good. I let them know that too. It's not just like, Hey, you suck today. There, there are days where it's like, man, you were, you were great. You filled up the zone. You fought, you competed. You get, I mean, I can't tell you how often Kid pitches really well. We don't win. I'm like, hey, man, you give us a really great chance to win. You, you did a really nice job. But there are also times where it's like, yeah, we had a four-run lead that became two runs because you were you were just, your body language was terrible. Your, your, your tempo was awful. You were 
concerned about what the, what the velo said on the scoreboard that was on all these other things. I think you have to be able to at least call them out on that. I'll give you a good one about brutally honest. And this is when I realized that maybe, maybe I'm a little too hard. So Jake Wallace, his junior year, his best year, he was excellent. And we played BC and I don't know what the final score of it, but it was like a one run game. And he came in the ninth. And the players he had to go through, I know Freilich was one of them. Freilich, they had the big first baseman. Was it Morissetti? Yeah. He was, whatever it, yeah. I mean, there were three really good hitters. And he was able to get through all three of them. I think he ended up striking out maybe Freilich on a fastball up. And, but he got behind every thinking batter. Every batter was one out, two out. So he goes one, two, three, game's over, one, two, three. And they're all coming around and in the huddle looks at me. And before I can even say anything, the look at me, he goes, I know I got behind all three, my bad. <laughs> and I'm just like, all right, well, I might want to relax here a little bit. Cause you know, when you could go through three, all ACC kind of hitters like that. And the kid, the first thought in his mind was that I would probably be pissed off that he got behind all three of them. But yeah, that's what I'm talking about being brutally honest is that if, you, if you're constantly, if you're constantly showing them here, are the, here, are the, here are the things that you have to do to get better. Here are the things that you do really well. I think they can, they can continue to grow, but that, that's, that, that's how it is. Coach, when you get to where you guys were last year, of course, Stanford Regional Game 3, one went away from, from Omaha, and, and kind of a reflection of, of how you guys have built the program and how successful you guys have been in kind of getting to where you wanted to get to. Once that season ended and, and kind of the reflection over the summer into the fall, uh, is it a challenge? Is it a mental challenge to, to kind of think back about the work that went in to get to that point and trying to re-emulate that during the year? Or is it motivating knowing how close you were to, to Omaha and the fact that you've put the program in that position to be successful? I think my, my guess is I think that every coach and every everybody that's building a program until you get to the top of Everest, it's let's do it again. Let's try again. Let's, so there, there is no sort of, oh man, that was so hard to get that far. It's, to be honest, it's the same thing that we always do. We got a little bit further. We hope to get a little bit further this year. Hopefully we get to the top. What I would, I would always like to talk to a coach about or, or guys that get to Everest and then they do it again. But guys that win it like that must be really in some ways really tr like you did you got there you got all the way to the top and uh, i don't know have you ever seen i, I joke around you ever seen nick saban after he wins the national championship yeah. unsatisfied he, look, <laughs> he just looks like he looks awful and i think it's the idea of like all right i got back up here and now i have to do it again like i would love to go back and look at maybe his interview when he won his first one at lsu if it looked that way but that's the kind of thing that I think for all of us, if you haven't been there, it's a suit again. And I think most coaches are driven people and that most of us are, you know, we, we like to make goals and we like to reach goals. If we don't, we like to learn from those mistakes and why we didn't reach those goals and try again. And for us, that's kind of how it felt. I mean, the, the weirdest thing about last year was that it was our longest season. It was our most successful season in terms of wins since I've been here. And it felt like when it was over, typically there are a couple of days when the seasons where you're like, oh, thank God. I needed like, I just need 48 hours here to, to just not do baseball for a little bit. But, and I feel like the team typically feels that way too. I felt like 
when we were flying back from Stanford, there were guys already like foaming at the mouth, guys that were returning to like, yeah, yeah, we're going to, we're going to get past this. So that was kind of neat because this is obviously, again, the furthest I've been to. I, I didn't know if it was going to feel like this awful sort of like hangover-y feeling that we got so close, but we didn't get there. It, it was the other way. It was, they definitely seemed like they wanted to go again. It's funny. You mentioned Nick Saban. I heard a story about him. I don't know if it even fits with the recruiting calendar or if it's legal by NCAA rules, but I heard every after every time he wins a national championship game in the locker room after, he starts making recruiting calls and he's like, hey, it's Nick Saban. I'm in the locker room with the national champs. That's crazy. And like I said, like, that's what they asked him. They'd be like, how's it feel? And he's like, I, I got to make a bunch of recruiting calls tonight. <laughs> Well, it's just wild. I don't know. I think Ed Orgeron probably was a little different after he won. Yes. <laughs> he seemed to be enjoying it a little bit more than, than Nick did. Yeah. No, as you say, like the other day, he gave a press conference, right? He was like, what do you guys want us to go undefeated every year? Or 10 and 2 were the number five team in the country, and you guys are all disappointed, right? I guess it's a goal, though, right? To reach a program to the point where the expectations are that high, that even when you're number five yeah. in the country, people think you stink. <laughs> so I... That's like it. I said, who was the who was the basketball coach that did that? He was a, he was a commentator too for a little bit. I think he was on CBS, but he won it and then like immediately retired and went into went to broadcasting. I understand that's what I'm saying. Like I understand that more than guys that are like, oh man, we didn't make it. What am I gonna? Those, you know, guys that don't make it, it's like let's try again. Yeah. Guys that do make it, I understand. Like yeah, I'm done. I don't <laughs> want to do this anymore. Yeah. Along the lines of those goals, ambitions, career goals that you had mentioned, UConn has the longest tenured staff in place, and now you guys have been together for 12 years. I would imagine it's probably a goal for you to become a head coach at some point, but I, I wonder if like, you get to a place and you've been there so long that people just assume, like, hey, he's going to stay there, or we're going to look somewhere else. Is it, have you ever looked at it like, hey, maybe I've been in one place for too long. I, I need to start looking at head coaching opportunities. I mean, I've had some opportunities come up. Didn't think that they were better than the situation I have here. Again, I think with the coaching world there, you see basically two sides of it. You see, you see guys that can kind of hop around. They can go up the, uh, the occupational ladder to, to bigger jobs or, or, or more money and things like that. And, and I'm, I got nothing against those guys. My situation, I have a family. I have two kids. I have grandparents 15 minutes down the road on, on both sides of them. It's not as easy for me to make those decisions and just leave. On top of that, I mean, I, I'm probably in one of the, the more unique situations in terms of, you know, how long my my deal is as an assistant. I'm just, I know that I have a deal that's longer than most head coaches. So in terms of a security and the, the staff that I work with and the opportunities they allow me to have, again, it's, it, it's not so much that whether or not the assistants here are looking for a head job or not. Is that job better than the job that we have? And again, uh, until I find one that, that all the pauses weigh out some of the cons, I, I'm going to be here. And I, I don't see that changing. Again, I think we're super unique though in, in a, in a occupation where people hire and fire, I mean, people love to fire people in, 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 in sports. They love to, 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 to move on to next bigger and better coach. You know, for us, it seems like around here, there is, there certainly seems to be a lot of people supporting us to, to continue it. So again, I don't, I, at some point, if it comes great, but for me, I, I to be honest, I don't really think about it all that much because I don't have to. 
Coach, the athletics at UConn, Jim Mora has UConn football, uh, certainly on the upswing. They're going to the Myrtle Beach Bowl. It's been a great turnaround for them. The UConn men's basketball team is now ranked number five in the AP Top 25. Of course, Gino's women's basketball team always uh, always at the top, towards the top. I'm curious how uh, the improvements in other athletic programs could also improve the baseball program in, the res- in terms of the the name brand for your for the for the school nationally when you're out recruiting and whether that's something that you feel like has a, has an influence and an impact on the baseball program overall. Don't forget hockey. Yeah, hockey, it's true. Hockey, that's true. Hockey teams <laughs> that's right it's now. true. I mean, don't don't cut them short. No, listen, it, it doesn't hurt when other teams win. A, a rising tide that raises all ships, and I think think I think the thing at UConn, and this is certainly something that I think most people who go here. And most people who have graduated from here and are Huskies, there's a ton of pride in the state for this university. There's a ton of pride in, in, in what has been built here, especially since Jim Calhoun kind of, kind of, kind of came in and the meteoric rise of, of both basketball program, which turned into basically taking a uh, D1 football team from, from pretty much nothing to, to pretty, pretty competitive right away. I think that, I think the fans and the people in the state care a lot about this university. And I also think it's gotten to the point where when, when a lot of these moves were made in terms of conference realignment, yeah, I think, I think the people here kind of felt that we were overlooked a little bit, especially if you, if you were just looking at terms of our fan base, the amount of successful programs that we had here, the facilities that we had here, things like that. Again, the decisions were made by other people, but I think that's another reason here why, especially the coaches and things like that, where we're, where we are super rabid competitive to make sure that the state is a national brand. We don't want to be the guys that, or, or the, the coaches that bring, bring this place into a more of a, let's say, regional university. We understand that at UConn, at UConn, you can win everything. You can, you can win the big dance. They've done it in multiple sports, soccer, field hockey, basketball. We know that that's possible. And again, hopefully the rest of the nation knows again, too, that, that UConn's a, a national school. Yeah, I went down for a game last spring and I remember walking around campus and every facility, even like you get to the track and it's, oh, they're national champs or Big East champs. It's, it's impressive how strong it is. One other thing I did notice when I was down there in terms of the UConn baseball coaching staff, I felt like just even during pregame warmups, like the other coaching staff, I, I can't even remember who the game was against, but it was kind of laid back in, in the dugout when the guys were taking infield and they were kind of warming up before the game. And then when you got the UConn coaches, you and Coach Penders, you're on the top step. You're watching the other team take infield. You're kind of, it looked like maybe trying to strategize like, hey, that shortstop maybe doesn't have the strong of our, the strong arm that we thought he did. Or so. It seemed like you were gathering intel and you had a big presence. There was a lot of chatter coming from the dugout. Coach Penders is on the top step the whole time. Is that by design or does he, do you think he kind of just surrounds himself with like-minded assistants? We're psychotic. <laughs> no, I do. I, I've said it before. I don't think, it's weird. I don't think we're the easiest coaching staff to play for. I don't, this isn't like a Bobby Knight situation where like you should be afraid going to practice. I don't think it's, I don't think it's like that, but we just, we've been, together so long we are we are all we are all super amped in our own way like coach penders and that's always like 72 degrees and sunny yeah until you cross until you cross them until you you don't run out a ground ball the right way coach horgan does he's not he doesn't say much but watch watch our eye watch our bp 
I mean, our BP is not, oh, we don't do field swings. There is a, there's a plan to it. And then obviously Desi and I are, are, are definitely more vocal than the other two. But yeah, we, we, we really enjoy winning and we really enjoy winning. We enjoy the process it takes to win. There is not a game on that schedule where we, where we take for granted, where we're just going to roll the gloves and bats out there and win. But we, we know how important every single game is and, and, and we take it that way. So yeah, if that's how it is. It, like I said, I don't know how it is in other dugouts. That's the other, that's the other weird thing too about UConn is that we've all been together for a long time. Like, I don't know what another dugout really feels like anymore. I just know what it feels like in our dugout. In our dugout, once, once we go out there, once you, once you, once you enter the field, it's all right, let, you know, let's go, let's, let, let's get this W and let's get back inside and eat dinner. That's kind of how that feeling is. I will say, I think practice at times can be a little bit more laid back, but yeah, game day is definitely one. That, yeah, I mean, you should feel it when you enter our dugout. The players should feel that that, that they're there for business. Yeah, absolutely. The last thing I, I did want to ask you about before we let you go, I was reading an article about your playing career, and you had a really good career at UConn and then needed required Tommy John surgery. And then it just kind of, as I'm reading it, it was like, yeah, so then he needed Tom, Tommy John surgery, so his career was over. And I was like, that's not really the way that story ends these no. days, you know? No. Do you do you ever kind of look back on it and wonder what could have been if it, if it had happened 10, 15 years later? Now you are. It's weird. <laughs> it's weird. Not not like that. It's it's weird because I I feel like all the things that happened to me as a player in terms of you know, I was better in high school than I was in college and physically. I threw harder in high school. My stuff was better in high school, and then in college I ended up getting hurt my freshman fall, and I really had to kind of find my niche, find my role once I came back from that. And when I came back from that, I had to learn other things. Like I had to learn how to keep, keep hitters off balance a little bit more. I had to learn different arm angles, things like that. And I really had to learn that I wasn't going to be, I wasn't an ace. I wasn't going to be the, the guy on the team that just goes out there and dominates and things like that. So because of that, I think it made me a really good coach. So in some ways, I guess looking at, you know, the only thing I think about it when it comes to my playing career is that I do think I was competitive and a smart enough pitcher that if I were to stay healthy, I were to get a little bit better in college, I could have made a run at it. So I, I think about that stuff. Cause I, I like, I, as I tell everybody else, I like pitching more than anything. I mean, if I could pitch right now, I'd go out there right now and throw nine innings. I love it more than any, I can't, I physically cannot do it. So I miss that part of it. But in terms of, do I ever look back at what if no, because I, again, I think, I think the things that have happened to me, I, I'm much much easier now to relate to a player that has that has certain flaws and that are having difficult times getting to a next step or next level because of the, some of the issues that I had when I was playing. Yeah, that makes sense. That's why they always say Michael Jordan had a tough time as a coach because it could. Oh yeah, he just wanted yeah. everybody to go out and do what he did. Yeah, and and, and again, I mean, you, you totally understand that, right? Is the the guys are if it's for the most part, it's pretty easy for them. It might be pretty hard, but it's it's very easy for me to understand when a freshman's struggling. It's very easy for me to understand when a guy is coming back from an arm injury and their stuff isn't exactly where it was when it left off to things like that. And yeah, again, like, yeah, I would have loved to pitch in Yankee Stadium. But maybe I'll get to Omaha. Save you know, it for another life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, coach, thank you so much for taking the time. I appreciate you catching up on Zoom. Yeah, no problem. Thanks so much, coach. Have a good one. 
Thanks to UConn pitching coach Josh McDonald for joining us on the Base Path Podcast. Rate, review, subscribe to the Base Path Podcast on your preferred platform. Thanks to our producer, David Yaz. The Base Path Podcast is a Siemens Media production. <laughs>